Konnichiwa. And howdy y'all. I'm Leslie. And I'm Laurie and welcome to Sumo Kaboom, where we talk about all things sumo. And we have a first for you today. That's right. A first interview that has someone speaking Japanese in it. That's right. I cannot believe it's taken this long. So heads up, if you're learning Japanese, this will be great because you can follow along and listen to a little Japanese and then hear it translated afterwards by our guest's son, who translates for us, as well as Lin Matsuoka. Now, who we're talking about is a wrestler. He wrestled, I'd say, back in the 60s and 70s. Um, His real name is Katsutomo Matsuoka, and he wrestled under the shikona of Iwatori. So you may hear us refer to him as Iwatori Zeki or Torazeki. Torazeki. And he lives here. Actually, in the States. In the States. Yes. He is the ex-husband yep. of Lynn Matsuoka. Yeah. So we're featuring the both of them and their son, yes. who is quite lovely yeah. to look at. Not y'all. bad on the eyes. So uh, check out our YouTube channel. That's right. We have a YouTube channel and we're putting this interview up in full on our YouTube channel. So you can see what all three <laughs> of these people look like because it's true. Wrestlers are beautiful. They marry beautiful wives and they make beautiful children. Yes. And nice to boot. Yep. So we're going to be chatting with him a little bit about his experience coming into sumo, how he came into sumo. He was in the Kasugano stable and his experiences there. And also we're going to have uh, on the latter half of the interview, we're going to chat with Lynn more about her years as a commentator. And she also is an incredible artist and did reportage, I think it's called reportage, which is basically uh, where you look at something in the moment and then with your brilliant art skills translate that to paper and it's this moment it's like momentary art and not everyone can do it and she's she was amazing at that so she did that in the sumo world behind the scenes and having experience behind the scenes drawing she also met her husband and all these things she knows a lot about the sumo world and if you are experiencing a tiny bit of deja vu right now it's okay we have interviewed lynn matsuoka before We just did one earlier this year, but we wanted to return to Lynn because we never got to talk about her commentating. We just didn't get that far in the discussion because it was so interesting. So that's why we're bringing her back for part two today. That's right. And being that I don't really have much news for you, other than 2023 is going to be an exciting year of hair cutting. Woohoo! We're going to be cutting a lot of hair in 2023. Yep, and um, I will be sharing lots of photoshopped images of people and their <laughs> random new hairdos that I think that they should be sporting, but they probably won't. Right. I'm excited to see what Hakuho's going to pick out, or Kakuru, but I do think with Hakuho's slightly dicey, I don't know, approach to fashion. It could be <laughs> It could be a late 80s quaff. It could be. It mullets, could be a mullet. But mullets are coming back. They're yeah, back. They are. So who knows? But uh, that's pretty much it on that side of things. But we're also going to be taking a two-week break here for the holidays, just giving ourselves a moment to regroup for 2023. And we will be back at you Simokaboom with many more podcasts in 2023, starting with our pre-basho breakdown of all of the Bonzuke and everything that's going to be happening in the January Basho. So let's get right to this interview, eh? Let's do it, eh? This is Jesse Dunosuke Matsuoka, um, our son. Uh, my youngest son, um, the oldest son, Tornoske, he had to flee to, for meetings. Um, this is father, uh, the former Uatora Zeki. We call him Tora. 
<laughs> to our son. Hi, how are you? Good. How Good. are you? Good morning. Well, I'm Leslie. And I am Laurie of Sumo Kaboom. That's right. Yeah. Just thank you very much for giving us part of your morning. We know you're oh, all busy. Fun. Anyway, we'll just launch in. Uh, well, we want to definitely feature uh, Lynn, your artwork and everything that you're doing with your website and some of the new things that you're doing. We definitely want to talk about that with our listeners. Um, but we also want to give our listeners a, a little um, peek into the life of a sumo wrestler. Now, we've had the opportunity to talk to Konishki but we haven't had anyone other than that, really, who has been in the stable, raised in the stable. And from what I understand, from the age of 14, so 13, 13. 13. And, and to give us an idea of what that life was like, especially in the Kasugano stable and the environment and atmosphere growing up such a young age in what would be a heyday of of sumo and you want to know how he got into sumo should i tell you because i mean it'd be difficult for him to really go through this quickly yes uh he had one older brother and two younger brothers growing up his father had been a policeman and his mother was a you know homemaker and mother and but his father became an alcoholic mm-hmm. and he'd go out gambling with the yakuza you know the yakuza but yes they, and um, I mean, that's his business and it's fine. But uh, the thing is that one night he gambled away the house that they had. Mm-hmm. And Toro was 11 years old. His older brother was a year and a half older. And he had a brother who was four and one in between, maybe eight or something. And one morning the boys woke up. Their mother had run away. Their father had run away. And the guys, you know, the guys showed up and they threw him out of the house onto the street and said, you know, your father lost this in a game, a gambling game, you're out of here. And they threw him on the street. And it's just by a miracle that, I don't know how, I never got the detail of how they connected, but they had a grandfather who was, you know, blood relative, a real grandfather, but he was a basket case in a wheelchair from a stroke. And he was married to his second wife, who was really not part of the family, but she took them in. And raise them and wow. took them off the street. And I get chills every time I tell this story because you know they could have wound up gangsters. They could have wound up you know run over by a truck. Who knows? But they all thrived. The older brother uh, became a businessman and started his own business and became the patriarch of the family. Did very well. He had a beautiful house in Osaka. Uh, Tora decided to go into sumo, and I'll tell you why in a second because it's a very moving story which I write about in my book. And. Um, Toro was starting to make money as a, as a sekitori, and his older brother, of course, was doing very well. So they pooled their finances and sent the third brother to college. And I remember he passed away, right? Your brother passed away some years ago. It's a shame, but he uh, I remember him. We used to go down to Osaka to his older brother's house, and his brother was a little bit heavy set, and he always wore these glasses, and he looked like a professor. <laughs> and he's a very sweet guy. So he married and had a child. And then the younger brother did marry eventually. Um, so the thing is that uh, and I used to meet his mom. His mother had been knocking on the door of the older brother and the older brother's wife, and the wife kept telling her to get lost because she abandoned the family. And for, I think it was a year or two years, she was knocking on their door all the time, begging to be let into the family again. And finally, they let her in. So when we went down to have dinner with them several times from Tokyo, she was there. She was a very beautiful woman. And he looked very much like her, Mm -hmm. which is an important note, because when he was 13, 
uh, the, in sumo, you're allowed to enter sumo when you're 15. You have to have graduated from junior high school right. and then accept you. They accepted him because he was an orphan. He was also large for a 13-year-old. He was beefy. He was strong. He'd been working. From the time they got tossed out, he got a job in a vegetable shop. And he was always working and very industrious. He was kind of very great work ethic. So they allowed him into sumo because they felt bad for him. He didn't really have a family. Was that not commonplace, but did that happen anywhere else where there might be other orphans in other stables? A a lot. His particular story is the only story of its kind I've heard in sumo. but I've never heard another story like that. And I've met everybody in the top division for the last 40 years. So, I mean, and so I've never heard a story like this. So the reason Torah wanted to get into sumo was because if you make it to the top division, to the Makauchi division, then your bouts are on television. And he aspired, even though he was small, he was five foot nine, which is like tiny for sumo. Mm-hmm. And at his and his heaviest weight, he was only 300 pounds. And Americans might say, oh my God, with 300 pounds, he's like almost half the size of the top division guys. You know, he was a right. small guy. But he wanted to make it to the top division with the dream that his mother would see him on television and want him again and come see him. It makes me cry every time the story. So it happened because he made it to the top division against all odds, because he was fantastic. He knew every waza, every trick in the book. And he was able to do well. And he looked so much like his mother that a friend of his mother saw him on television and called his mother and said, you know, there's a guy in sumo who looks like you, possibly could be your son. So the mother showed up at the stadium. They met, they met at a coffee shop. This is a quick version that he told me. They met at a coffee shop and he went to see his mother, which was the reason he entered sumo. Mm. And they had coffee and they chatted. And I asked him later, well, how did this go? And he said, well, and this is very Japanese. Um, he said, well, she's remarried. She has other children, so she's not my mother anymore. So I have to go. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Wow. But the struggle of a young kid who you enter sumo really for love and the mm-hmm. finding a reuniting with with your mother, you know, the most important person in Child, your life. You know, deep-seated need to find yeah. his mother again. Yeah. And from what I understand, when he joined uh, Kasugano's stable, um, he was the forty-fourth the Yokozuna to- Tochinishiki was the Oyakata at that time. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and when you came in at <laughs> age thirteen, not knowing anything, what was the environment coming in as a thirteen-year-old? I can only imagine that was scary, but filled with hard work, and I'm sure up at who knows what hour doing those uh, difficult chores. But was it a refuge because you were an orphan and they did welcome you in, or was it? Uh, introduction into a world that was very harsh that you set yourself up to achieve a great goal to to get out of the of the depths of despair that you were in. So that the, the quick and easy answer he had said was that they were actually uh welcomed him with open arms uh and, and were very nice to him. 
Um, and he was he was actually astonished uh, at a young age how he was respected uh, going into that environment. And and again, I'm going to kind of elaborate over here that, you know, it is stable to stable. Right. The environment is, is truly based on on the, the, the headmaster um, and, and how he runs his house. So, you know, I think my, my father is extremely lucky going into a very loving, you know, caring place. Yeah, he used the word Shinseki, which is family, and he felt like he had been brought into a family, and like he said, he was so lucky. Uh, Kaskanoe Kata, former Tochinishiki, he was a huge, you know, really gruff guy, but he was always very nice to me. He was, he, he was, he had the capability of being pussycat and being very feeling, a feeling person. Mm-hmm. And um, Tora considered him his father. Yeah. And and he really cared about Torah a lot. And he was he was very good to him. Yeah. Mm, wonderful. Torah, how did you develop your style of sumo? Mm. <laughs> あの、特にあの、その私の同じ西国から、え、横綱あの、土地の、あの、ブランチャンポンになった人が、だから、そう本当それもラッキーでした。で、その人からいっぱいあの、いろんなことを学んで勉強しました。So mm. the the Yokozuna of the house Tochinomi um was crucial in him learning and leading to to learning how to utilize his smaller stature and uh, smaller body to to really win and learn uh the waza the the techniques uh to to grow fast and he said he was lucky that he had such a great mentor that that taught him the ways to utilize you know what he had which was you know his height um but then because of that what he could do with that uh within uh his techniques so. Well, and I I read that he was more like skilled at oshi sumo, pushing, thrust, thrusting as a more than uh, on the belt. And with that training, was the yokozuna of similar height, or was it just incredible skill that he was so well rounded that brought him to his skill set? <laughs> Yeah, so that was one of the reasonings was Tokonomi was definitely uh, about the same height, which they could really uh, speak together about, you know, how how to use your techniques, not not your weight or any grappling is going to be more difficult with somebody that is twice your size. So you have to use different techniques if you're shorter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And in in your experience, uh, how does each level of sumo, uh, you know, makushita, juryo, uh, makuchi, how how do they feel different? So different. I mean, he said it in English. He's like, so different. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. So even even showering. 
Yeah, even eating, you you know, starting off at the bottom, you're the last to shower, you're the last to eat. Um, you know, everything as you grow in the levels, it, it's it's not just a an accolade. It, it's moving up within you know your lifestyle, being able to shower. You know, privilege. More yeah, privilege, absolutely. And so, and, and when he won his two Makushita championships, I believe he won two. Even though he's not in the salaried ranks, did he get a a little perk or appreciation or any extra accolades with that, or just no? Thank you for winning Makushita. <laughs> あの、自分のためにじゃなくてファミリーのためにもいいから。あでもあのまだ給料もらう前にそのどんどんどんどん上がった時まだ給料もらえないんだ。それそういう時も気持ちよく。ああ、それはもう無視しない。頑張らないと
もっと行かないといけないっていう気持ち、どう,どういう気持ちがありましたそうもちろんそれはあの頑張って、バランチャンプリンになりたいっていう気持ちはいっぱいあったけど、でも私、本当にあの大きい怪我して、この,あの,この4頭筋をあのブローキンして、そ,うもうそれからもう本当にまだ、まだ本当に一番下の、夜星まで怒っちゃった。うん、もうノー、ノー、ノーマニー、ノー、ノー、ノーサラリー、うん。いや、そう、食べるものも全部本当に。あの、年はもう30いくつになってたけど、若い本当に14歳から15歳の、うん、そう、初年の食事をしなきゃいけなかった。うん、でもそう。So, so, I mean, it's, it's a little off from what, what your question was, but he had answered that he had Um, you know, made it up to that level、um, and, and became very successful.、Um, and that was great. And the drive would always be, always for anyone to be Yokozuna, right? So that would, that would be the, the next drive once you've made it to that tier. But then he got injured.、Right. Um, and, and he had ripped his whole hamstring, the whole hamstring out of his left, left leg.、Mm. Uh, And, and it ripped up into his buttocks. So that's an injury. And that's what my mother was talking about that, you know, the medical system at that point said,、uh, why don't you just lay off of it? That was their medical advice、uh, at that time. Yeah.、Uh, that, I still that, feel that, like it's like, like that today. <laughs> We see them fight through massive injury. Massive they injury. just brush it off. Right.、Um, and With that, you know, somebody at he was 31、uh, at that time,、um, but he had said that he had fallen down to all the way to the bottom rank where he compared it to, you know, he was eating with the 14 year olds and he was like, you know, I'm done.、Uh, which again, he that was his next drive to be like, I can't be done, I need to work back, which he did. Amazingly, he did. It's amazing. If I could clarify some of this, because he's not going to say all of it, that in a, in a fight、uh, against it was a, against he was in this fight, a fight he should have won. You know, the guy he was up against certainly he could have taken, but he fell down with his left leg out at a very odd angle. But Mutsarashi fell on his leg that it was extended at this odd angle. And what happened was that the, the,、uh, the, the hamstring has what they call it four legs. And the two middle legs were yanked out from behind the knee connection and snapped up into his、yeah. mid thigh. So、mm-hmm. even t h e r e s this huge bulge in his mid thigh. And he looks like he has a very strong leg, but it's not. It's that bunched up muscle. And they should have done a major operation and reattached it, given him six months, and he would have been fine. But they said, Like, like Jesse said, just rest for six months. Well, you know, it turned every color of rainbow and he was crippled for six months. And when he came back, he said it took him 10 years to make it to the top and six months to make it back to the bottom. And it's an incredible reversal of fortune.、Mm-hmm. Yes. But he, he, he fought his way back up. And because he was impaired now, and I used to watch him do sumo on one leg, you can't do sumo on one leg,、no. but he did. Because, you、no. know, you're on your ground. But he would have that left leg in the air because he knew if he stepped down on the left leg, he'd collapse. So he had that leg in the air and never depend on it. And he would still win. And he made it back up to Judeo, which is the second of the top divisions,、yeah. with, no, with one leg. I mean, this is unheard of, but this is the kind of, you know, dedication.、Um, dedication. He has 
looking beyond himself, that's who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Tora, how did you make the decision to eventually retire? So he had simply said, you know, that the age 30 to 31 was the age that you were informed to retire. Um, and he was like, this is the, this, I, I made it to 31. This is where I'm at. I didn't make it to Yokozuna and I must bow out. And I mean, there obviously that, you know, that's not the case for, for others in the, the modern age of sumo that are pushing through that age and, and going past it. But, you know, I think it was one of those things about my father that, that, you know, the, he follows the rules. He follows the rules. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. One uh, question. Um, we want to know um, your most proud moment or was there a moment in a, in about where you were fighting somebody who brought the best out of you or that you think about still today? あの、そう、お父さんお母さん頑張ったけど、できなかった。あの、そうやってもう亡くなって、いなかったから、まあ、あの、兄弟私の兄弟とファミリーのために頑張って盛り返りますためにを立派にさせなきゃいけないと思
<laughs> there's there's a body up there. You know? Oh my gosh. That was definitely one thing, you know, fighting the, the Yokozuna. But um, he, he went up against Chionofuji also. あの、<笑> Yeah, but so even then he was saying he was so muscular and so big. Yeah. So Chuno Fuji fighting him, he he probably had about a 20% win rate uh, with Chuno Fuji. Um, and that was Chuno Fuji's younger age, where he was definitely uh still just a, a brick house, as I I would put it in in his words. And uh so he was he was definitely uh in awe of his strength. And you know, being able to fight a you know such a strong person. And he mentioned to me the other day, talking about going up against Chino Fuji, that you know, you remember what he looked like. <clears throat> well, he worked out like a fiend for his shoulders because he kept dislocating his shoulders, so his shoulders were crazy, you know, strong. Mm -hmm. But his whole body was there was hardly any fat; it was all muscle. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> he said he was he had such a tight body that he couldn't believe it, like nobody else. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I I remember. Uh, being a, a young age and i i had the honor and, and luck of of running around the dressing rooms while my mother was you know painting <laughs> drawing uh at the stadium so she would just leave me uh in in the dressing rooms with uh with the guys um i asked the, the, the younger guys to babysit him while I was <laughs> right. um and yeah Fuji would be one of those guys that would you know be like yeah come here and and just he's like let's let's do a little battle and I would just be like slapping him and it'd be like slapping a wall, <laughs> a wall. Like, I don't think that's normal. Like it's not normal. And that's what people were probably you know fighting against was just right. a wall, uh, and just hit the wall and fall back. So yeah, I can I can imagine what my even my father uh, had 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 seen during his younger ages as well. I worked with Chiona Fuji for probably 22 years, uh, the last 22 years of his career, right through his Gampatsushiki when he had his hair done. And then after that, I was always following him around, you know, doing drawings. And he, he was like a mentor to me. He would mm. tell me things <clears throat> that nobody else would think of. Um, and I don't want to go into that right now, but it's brilliant stuff. Uh, the guy was like a Renaissance man. He really was. And he was special in every conceivable way. And I used to, you know, I'd sit there and I'd do drawings and you'd, you'd want to see that. I'd turn the sharpest right, turn the sketchbook around. He'd say, oh, yes, I have the best turtle. Yes. He was definitely <laughs> very proud man. That was I love that. Oh, my goodness. We've, uh, I could sit here forever and just ask these questions because it's just so fascinating and interesting to me. I just want to say thank you. Oh, like, arigato gozaimasu. Yes, arigato gozaimasu. Thank you so much for your time. I wish I knew how to say thank you for your time, but I don't yet in Japanese. <laughs> uh, it's an honor to get to talk with you, sir. Thank right. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> So let's let's focus on you. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
Well, the main reason we wanted to talk with you again was because we never got to talk about your style of commentary. So we want to make sure our listeners know how you got started doing commentary and what your style of commentary is, because we're used to a certain style that we're hearing right now. Right now, it's a lot of stats, like some of them are stat guys. Yeah. And some of them are trying to fill in the blanks, you know, in terms of training and who these guys are outside the doyo a little bit. Uh, but, you know, mostly it's it's uh, men who have watched a lot of sumo and they're trying to give a basic beginner an idea of who might have an advantage and under what circumstances. Uh, so I'm j- I just wonder how your style is different. Or was different because I have yet to hear it. I can't find a clip of you doing commentary. Oh, really? So I, yeah. So I can't research at this point to find out what it was like. That's interesting. I know. So you're gonna have to fill I did me it in for 15 years. I know. I also can't something find out there. <laughs> I can't find Doreen either. I can't find copies of Doreen doing her commentary. So I don't have any idea of what it sounds like for a woman to do oh. commentary for sumo, which is a shame. Because, well, you know what? I'll find. Yeah. I have a friend who's still involved in sumo. I don't think he does commentary he may but um and then of course i know um i know a couple of people on the show so i will ask them if they could dig up some some tapes for me okay but you know i started working with sumo in 1973 when i got over there and you said when you were working in sumo that's when you were in the hayas and you were doing artwork or are you talking you were doing commentary by that point no let me back up i was dragged over to japan and i mean that because i didn't want to go Somebody talked me into it. They said, go, it'll change your life. I said, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll go for six months. Because it was a six-month job. Yeah. Worst job I have ever had anything to do with. And um, I mean, every day I couldn't wait to go home. But, you know, I had the job. I was going to do the job. I was a fashion illustrator. Yes. For Parco and Cebu department stores. Anyway, I discovered sumo during that time. And I started networking to get into that world, which was crazy because I knew nothing about the culture. And you need to know something about the culture, especially if you're working with traditional people, because you have to know which toes not to step on and how to tread lightly and how to act and how not to be, you have to conform or they really make your life miserable. And um, I knew nothing, but I have to tell you, it was just comes some kind of sense. Like I'm a kind of an, you know what an empath is? Empath. Yes. Yeah. If I sit next to somebody on the subway who's sick, I start feeling, I, I feel as sick as they do. And it used to scare me when I was younger because I thought, oh my God, I'm getting sick. And it, when I get about a half hour after I get away from whoever that is, the symptoms go away. And maybe it's the same thing. When I got there, I just kind of, I was lucky that somehow I picked up a sense of what not to do just by observing. Because I mean, all my work is all about observing. So it was getting close to the end of the six months and I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. Get back to New York. Because CBS Network News had offered me the first Watergate trial. They wanted me to be the court artist. But nobody knew what Watergate was going to be. But that was a job in my dreams. I wanted to go, I want to get back and do that. February of 74. But I started networking to get into sumo. I started meeting people. Everybody I met was like another stepping stone closer to the portal of the sumo world. It was crazy. Uh. And I only understood that in retrospect. I gradually got in there and I started going faithfully just about every morning to sumo practice at the end of 73 and on. I think it was like 1981 or two. I don't know when they started the sumo, the the English language worldwide TV coverage for sumo. It was in the early 80s. 
Okay. And they called me up, and HK called me up and said, we're doing this. Um, you know, everybody knew about me. I was starting to get a really good reputation for an artist who worked in sumo, and nobody had ever done that the way I did it. And um, so they called me, and they said, well, you see sumo every day. I said, yeah, I'm there every day, up close and personal. So they hired me right away. And um, they hired Doreen, and they hired a couple and a bunch of guys. Um, we were the charter crew. And I said, I know nothing about stats. I know nothing about numbers. Don't even ask me, because I can't even fake an answer. Uh -huh. Or anything they're doing with stats, I don't know, and I don't care. You know, I'm a people person, and I can comment on the people who are the sumo wrestlers. And they say, yeah, that's cool. You're a color commentator. That's all we need. So I don't pay attention to stats because I don't care. I mean, sometimes I care, but I, honestly, I can't be bothered. So my style, I never thought about it. You know, I just, um, I went to sumo every day, and... I talked to the who's who every day, whether they were low ranking, high ranking, whoever was worthy of observing. And then, you know, since they got to know me, they were kind of gang up on me after practice. They said, oh, let me see, let me see. Oh, look, oh, that's you. Look, 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 where's mine? You know, and this would be the the, the daily ritual, you know, depending on the stable. Cause like Tora and Jesse were saying this morning, it's just like, you know, you go to different friends' houses and the attitude towards you of the household depends on who's running the household, you know? So more friendly places, the guys would kind of gather around and want to see their drawing or they'd stay away from me because I was the foreigner, you know, untouchable. It, it depends on the personality of the oyakata, of, the, oh, of oh. The, the guy who owns the stable. Anyway, so I just, you know, what, what, I, what I, I got into this routine of... If I'm going to be on the show today, I go to the stable where the guy of the moment is practicing and I watch him and I talk to him after practice. And one thing I learned to do is I never talk to him about sumo and I never ask him, I know whose opponent is. And I know because I've been watching for so many years now, I know what he's like in the face of that particular opponent or if he's even ever seen it before. But what I did was because I... I always lived in a kind of Western style apartment and I had a stove and I could make American style chocolate chip cookies, which you can't even buy in Japan. So I would make a bag of chocolate chip cookies and I'd call Mr. You know, man of the moment over. And I'd say, I have some cookies here for you. Oh, you know, so while he's stuffing his mouth with the cookies, I'd say, well, what do you think of the cookies? And we talk about the cookies. This was my MO. Are they too soft? Are they too crispy? How do you like them? I need some input. So the next time I make them for you, I can make them better. So we talk about the cookies. And I'm telling you, I could read the guy like an MRI from the way he talked about the cookies. Like 99% of the time, I called it right. And I'm no genius about sports. I was never interested in watching sports. I mean, I worked with baseball and football only because I liked the look and I loved to do the drawings of the players. But I don't care about the game. Um, I never really paid attention to that. But with sumo, you know, I understand every aspect. And I, I, I that was in all every, it's all in my artwork, you know. I would say, you know, when I was commentating on the guy who I'd been talking to in the morning, and maybe two guys, whatever. And I would say, well, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and he's going to win. Or he's not. Or whatever I said. I mean, I'm no genius. I just picked it up, like through osmosis, by talking to him and reading him, you know. As he and my husband eating, said, you're always right. Huh? As he was eating his chocolate chip cookies, you were taking all this in and thinking, okay, does he have what it takes to beat this one guy later on today? Oh, he obviously does. And you could just feel it, and then you would go on the air and basically give your prediction before Seriously. each match? Yeah. Well, it. not for each match that day, but for the guys I was talking to in person that day, and then other guys too, because I knew all of them. I saw them all. In the space of a week, I probably saw just about everybody in the top division, and it's all up here, you know? I never forget it. Yeah. So it's like if you make notes while you're you're at a lecture, you remember it because you've, you've written it down. Same thing. Same thing with art. Yeah, but specifically... 
if there were you know a few guys who were important at that moment, those are the guys that I made it made it my business to spend time with that week and practice. So when I got on the show, I could speak to their state of mind, state of body, their state of confidence, whatever it is you need to know. I could speak to it with some reasonable experience having talked with them, you know? All through chocolate chip cookies and art. I yeah. love this. Talk about the cookies. <laughs> I mean, they don't want to talk about their fight. They don't want to talk about whoever they're going to meet up that day. But whether or not they're nervous or cool or whatever it is, it would come through. Through body language and through facial expression and way people talk, whether they're a nervous wreck or really calm, yeah. or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That is the last thing I thought you were going to tell me. And <laughs> it's even better than anything I could have ever imagined. That no, is so brilliant. <laughs> You know, I do this stuff by the seat of my pants. I'm an artist, so I do things that look and feel right. I don't, I didn't read a book. There's no book on how to talk to a sumo wrestler. No. I'm trying to write it. <laughs> but I hope you do. But um, no, I really had no, no plan. I just did what felt right. And you did it for 15 years, so you must have done it well. Well, people told me I did it very well. I just had a good time because I love the stage. And, you know, for 30 years, I've given talks on sumo as a microcosm of Japanese culture, which sounds very dry, but people always laugh and have a great time. And they always follow me out of the hall, still asking questions. But I love, you know, I get on this, I get on the stage and I feel totally at home. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, an easy transition to do the TV show and talk about what was my life, which was living with those guys, traveling with them, living with them. They were my whole life. You know? But, you know, most of these people, I'm not really meaning to compare myself to anybody, but I can only do it the way I can do it. And the way I do it is I don't read Japanese, so I'm not reading the papers. Mm-hmm. I knew all the the, uh, the commentators because the journalists were always interviewing me, so I was always talking to them so I could turn it around and ask them some questions. But, you know, they only have a superficial knowledge, and they're only writing what their readers want. I see these guys up close and personal every day. I travel with them. I was on the Rinjireisha, which is the sumo train, when I traveled for years on Junyo, you know, sumo tours, or all around Japan and the hills and valleys and everywhere. And they allowed me, it was crazy because the journalists weren't allowed, but they allowed me on the sumo train. And when we went through the, the mountains on tour for like, you know, seven, eight days at a time, I would sit on the bus with the sumo wrestlers and do my drawings. And I draw, draw, draw until I got nauseous and I put it away for 15 minutes till that went away. And then I pick it up and finish the drawing. And, you know, so I have a lot of draw, a great drawing of um, Kitana Umi uh, occupying two whole seats, you know, hanging onto a seat on the bus. Um, but uh, I just, you know, I kind of lived with them and they were like my family. So it's just like talking about your brothers and sisters, you know. So it was real easy for me. But I also was very careful not to say anything that would embarrass anybody or raise any questions. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about your artwork. Do you have some behind you that you're wanting to show off? Oh, well, I have uh, this one of Musashimaru. That was always, um, people really, when I was in Japan, people really liked this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, I have, I have some left. It's a limited edition print. If you look on my new website, which is linmatsuoka.com, I'm trying to get this in front of the camera so it works. Anyway, this is Musashimaru in Kyoto on tour. And he was la- he, he was laying down like that on the tatami, you know, in between bouts. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down and started drawing him. And he kept saying, uh, you know, like a little kid, can I get up? Are you done yet? I said, no, no, don't move. He said, okay, I'm going to get up now. I said, no, no, no. 
And it took me about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to do this. I can't remember. Wow. But I kept begging him to stay still and don't move. But, you know, he's a real joker. He kept saying, are you get up? No, no, no. Uh, so I got that done and I turned it into a print. It's beautiful. Um, but on, thank you. On, on the new site, um, you, the, I have a lot, not all of them, but I have a lot of my print series, what's left of them. And you can go in and, you know, buy one and I'll send it to you. And, you know, you're, you're anybody listening to your podcast, they use that. You told them about the Sumo code, Sumo 22. Yeah. They'll get if, a discount. And yeah, if also, they use it by the end of the year, 2022. Right. Go, and, go okay. to lynnmatsuoka.com and That's right. sign up for the e-newsletter list. And right. uh, if you make a purchase, use that code, Sumo 22, and you'll get a discount. Yes, but also, and I thought I had it here, but I don't. It's in the other room. I have a set of five sumo cards with a, a different image, you know, Ake Bono and all the, you know, the golden age of sumo. Every card, postcard Ooh. has a different person on it, different pa painting. Um, I'll send them one of those too. But it's a set of these cards that I used to sell with the Kokugi Kan. So this is Ake Bono and Taka and Waka. This mm. is Takanohana. These are my best paintings that I turned into cards. This is Musashi Maru. He's very regal looking, isn't he? Yes, he is. Well, he will have you know He's half Samoan and half Tongan, and his Tongan relatives are all royalty. He'll have really? You yep. And this is Musashi Maru and Musashi Maru on the dohyo at the Tachiai. And this is Akebono Dohyuri. So people will get, you know, a, a package of these cards. There's nothing on the back, so you can do what you want with them. So anybody who comes through, through your, you know, your list will get these as well as the discount. So I hope people will take advantage of that. I, yeah, I, I hope so, too. <laughs> um, Good. You said you also had something else. Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, I just wanted to mention that I have, and I, I don't have that with me either. It's in the other room. Uh, the website has a, my, my son said, oh, you know, you're cheapening your brand. I said, no, people want this. I have a merchandise gallery on my website where you can order a tote bag. And I have a tote bag. It's really beautiful. Uh, I've ordered them as samples, really heavy duty material, different sizes. And you can choose the image you want. There's sumo image, uh, kabuki. Um, I have dragons. And um, you can choose what you want for the tote bag. They make great gifts for the you know, holiday season. Yeah, tis the season. Yes. Um, but the main thing that I've been working on, I've been trying to finish my memoir, but the main thing I've been working on is getting that, uh, you know, my son and I together hired a, a professional team to build the website, which works pretty well. You know, I'm always tweaking it. Um, but that's another thing that if people just come in and sign up for my newsletter, you know, come in and contact us, sign up for the newsletter and you only get a newsletter when there's really news that you want to know. Um, or when I have a book signing, when the book is published and, you know, if you sign up, you know, with your information, I will, I'm once a month, I'm going to send out an excerpt from the book, which Ooh. hopefully will become two to three months but i have some really sexy areas that book i mean i send it out to what they call beta readers yeah and you know i'm writing it it's my thing so i think yeah who who's gonna like this and people say oh my god it's amazing you have more i want to see more <laughs> so that's oh. that's a good that, yeah so i mean I'm, I'm happy to have anybody's input but if they sign up for the newsletter they'll once a month they'll get an excerpt from the book I'm on that newsletter list, so I want to be yeah. a beta tester. <laughs> I want to be reading sexy sumo stories. Well, I'll send you something today. Oh, yes. You, <laughs> you already signed up, day. right? I yes, saw I you. Did. 
Yes. Your people signed up. They'll get that too. And they'll, awesome. I'll let them know when the book is published, they can come to book signings and get a discount on the book or whatever. I'll, I'll give everybody whatever I can give away and I'll send them some postcards. <laughs> I love it. So come on in. It's a brand new website. So it'd be nice to have fun. Well, if somebody has a fave, you know, like a, a Dixie that they really love and they don't see, you know, ask me, write to me and say, but I really love so-and-so. Do you have something on him? Or somebody wants a, a quick, you know, affordable portrait of their favorite guy. Talk to me. You know, I'm always happy to make people happy. You know? oh, that's great. You do commissions too. Oh yeah, I do commissions. I mean, great. I do twenty, thirty thousand dollar commissions, but I'm happy to do a, a very affordable commission if somebody wants a quick sketch of their favorite guy or something important. You know, I'm I love happy that. To do that. Well, thank you again for talking with us here at Sumo Kaboom. And we will get the word out about everything yes. that you're doing because we want to get as many Sumo fans over to you and loving your artwork as we possibly can. Thank you. You're a wonderful support. I can't thank you enough for being there. And anytime you want to talk, if you have a question you think is interesting, just, you know, let me know. Okay, will do. Amazing. Thank you to Lynn, to Jesse, to Tora for that fantastic interview. That's thank right. Thank you. Thank you. What a fascinating life. I know. Don't you want to just take them out to dinner and just say, just talk. Just talk for two more hours, please. <laughs> no. Tell me about fighting this person. Tell me about what it's really like backstage with that person. I know. Well, I guess until then, we'll just have to look at her awesome artwork yep. throughout the years. And she's got some incredible art. So go on lynnmatsuoka.com. Follow her on Instagram. Give her some love. She's been nothing but kind to us and so giving. So we want to thank her especially for giving us her time and her energy. As they say up in New York, we love her. We love her. We <laughs> definitely love her. So uh, I guess that's it for us. We will see y'all in 2023. Yeah, bye. Bye. Bye.